Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we've been uh, journeying through the Gospel of Luke. We're up to chapter 11. We've been on an earth walk looking at the life of Jesus Christ. And as we've gotten into chapter 11, the writer Luke now is doing something very interesting. He is wanting us to see that there are some folks who, yeah, they're excited about Jesus, they're excited about what he's doing, but in the midst of the crowd, there are some folks who are skeptical or they're rejecting. In fact, we've already seen, as the beginning of Luke, it just flat out says that some of them are speaking among themselves. They're saying that Jesus is able to do what he's doing through the power of Satan. And then some of them are saying things like, well, you know what, if he is who he says he is, and if he can do all this stuff, why doesn't he show us another sign, another sign in heaven? Something for us to see to validate what's going on here. So we've seen now that that's the setting. Those are actually the, the very beginning of chapter chapter 11. What we see now is, verse 14 and 15, Jesus responds to them. So the, we saw that he responded to the folks that he was doing it through the power of Satan. And last week he was responding to those folks who wanted to be neutral, who don't want to make a decision about Jesus yet. And so today we're going to look at verses 29 through 32 and we're going to see that he's going to respond to the folks that want more proof. He's going to respond to the folks that want to see a sign from heaven. He's going to respond from the folks that say, it's not enough just to see what he's doing right now. It's not enough to hear what he's saying. We want to see something more before we're convinced that he is who he says he is and whether or not we'll follow him. Things haven't changed much. You know, the reality is is that you have the testimony of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's said, and there are still folks, it's not enough for them. They want to see something more. They want to see something more spectacular. They want to see, you know, God, if you're this, then do this. You know, God, make it rain right now. In fact, a lot of folks are praying for rain right now, aren't they? And, and folks want to see some kind of proof. Now, here's the danger with that. The danger is, and we see this throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, what kind of proof do they need? Because, you know, if you go over to the Gospel of John, and you go to the 11th chapter there, you see Jesus raise somebody from the dead who's been dead for three days in the grave. That doesn't convince anybody, does it? In fact, they still want to, what, kill him? And now they want to kill the guy that Jesus raised from the dead as well. See, it doesn't really matter. Because when you talk about people who want more proof, there's something more going on there. And this is what Jesus is going to address here in this passage. So what we're going to do is, is we're going to continue to wrestle with some questions here. And again, we're going to wrestle with that question about who Jesus is, and specifically with the question, who is this Jesus that he demands a response from us? Who's this Jesus who's getting in my face with this gospel, and he's demanding that I respond to him, that I make a decision about him? Because we don't like that. We don't like to be pressed for decisions. I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I kind of like to take my time thinking about things. And I don't want people pressing me for a decision. 
this is what Jesus is doing. It's specifically here in chapter 11. He is wanting these folks to make a decision about him. But there's another question that comes out of this passage today. Is there enough proof? Is there enough proof about Jesus? Is there enough proof about what he says? Is there enough proof about who he is? Is there enough proof about what he's done? Is there enough proof? And for some of you here, there maybe isn't. And you want something more. And Jesus is specifically going to address that with us today. So I want you to notice with me verse 29 through 32. Here's what the writer Luke writes. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Folks, we can take this passage, these few verses here, and we can divide it up into three sections. And that's basically where we're going to focus our time today. We're going to look, first of all, at the skeptics. We're going to understand what it means to be the kind of person that says, you know, I don't know if I have enough proof. I need a little bit more proof. We're going to talk about the skeptical. Then we're going to talk about this whole issue of a sign. Jesus addresses the issue of the sign, so we're going to talk about see what he says about the sign. And then we're going to see the issue of judgment, which he talks about in verses 31 to 32. So let's look at the issue today, first of all, to skeptics. Look with me at verse 29. It's very interesting that while the crowds were gathering together, thickly gathering together, so again, we're still in this situation where Jesus is teaching, he's healed people, he's cast demons out, and the people are gathering around him. Jesus speaks up because he's not done addressing this issue about folks who need to have another sign. And so notice what he says about these folks that are gathered around him. It's almost kind of harsh, but you need to understand what he's saying here. Look at what he says. This is an evil generation. That's the first thing he says about them. Now, you've got to stop for a moment because you might be wondering, whoa, wow, that's pretty serious, Jesus. Because understand something. In this crowd, he's got people there that are all excited about him. Remember, just a few verses before, he's got a lady who's saying, blessed is the mother who bore you. So there are people who are excited about Jesus in this crowd. But there are people there who are saying, number one, he's doing it by the power of Satan. Number two, yeah, maybe, but we need to see something else. But Jesus looks at them all, and he makes this statement. This is an evil generation. Now let's just stop for a moment, because we're going to have a hard time with that phrase, evil generation, because this is where we're at in our postmodern culture today. In our postmodern culture today, we've kind of lost the concept of what evil is. Because in our minds, when we think of evil, we think of Adolf Hitler. We think of evil, we, th we think of Saddam Hussein, we think of Osama bin Laden. We think of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia with the killing fields. We think of Stalin murdering millions of his own people. We think of that. We think of, you know, when we think of evil, that's our definition of evil. We think of a Jeffrey Dahmer or someone like that who who's done the most heinous whatever. And so when we think of evil, we think that's evil. Because that's our concept, our modern concept of evil. That is not the Bible's concept of evil. 
In fact, the Bible's concept of evil is probably more broader than your concept. And the concept of evil in the Bible is, is that it's anything that's contrary to God. Evil is anything that is contrary to God. So sin is evil. Wickedness is evil. So, you know, so it blows our definition out. So we can't look at what he's saying here. So really, what is he saying? So this is my first point. Here's what he's saying. They were spiritually corrupt. In fact, remember, remember when Jesus was talking about the issue of prayer? And he was saying to them about what dad would say to his son who asked for a piece of bread, I would give him a rock, or if you asked for a fish, give him a snake. And then he said something like this. How is it that you, being evil, do good things for your children? How much more will God the Father do for you when you ask of Him? And He described all of us as being what? Evil. Now, we don't like that. Because, again, we're thinking, I'm not like those bad guys, the murderers. That's not what He's talking about here. When He looks at us and says that we're evil, He's talking about the very nature of who we are. But by very much so, we are what? Spiritually corrupt. And our whole nature is what? Contrary to God. So the first thing I want you to see about a skeptic, about somebody who, who doesn't want to embrace Jesus right off the bat, the very nature of who they are is they're spiritually corrupted. So when they ask for more proof, when they ask for another sign, when they say it's not enough what Jesus is showing them, they've got to have more, that's coming out of the essence of who they are. They are an evil generation. Meaning, for us here, so it's more palatable for us here, it meaning he, they're spiritually corrupted. They can't see it. Really what it's talking about is it's their unbelief that's coming out of them. The issue is unbelief. And so here's what they're saying. Notice what he says there, verse 29. This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. This is my next point. They wanted more proof. They wanted more proof. See, the issue is unbelief here. The issue is, it's not an issue that they, they don't have enough to see for themselves. In fact, their attitude may be, excuse me for the facts, but this is what I believe. You ever met somebody like that? You ever been in a discussion with or an argument with somebody like that? No matter how much proof you show them. I mean, you can even show them a videotape of what happened, and they don't see it. And the reason is it's not that they don't see it, it's that they don't want to see it. It's called unbelief. And that is a component of being spiritually corrupt. When you have someone who says, well, you know, I'll believe him, but I've got to see something more, the issue isn't that they haven't seen enough. The issue is that they don't want to believe what they've seen. So they want more proof. They want more proof. And so that's what we see about the skeptic. The skeptic is spiritually corrupted, and they want more proof. But I want you to notice with me, look at verse 29 and 30. We're going to see Jesus talk about the whole issue of a sign. He's going to say, you know what, these guys want a sign. They already have a sign. So notice what he says there. Look with me, verse 29. And no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. Now, I want you to stop for a moment. We're going to look at this from the perspective of Luke. Some of you are going to be thinking about the sign of Jonah being three days in the grave that the other, other writers talk about. But we want to look and see what, what, what Luke is saying here. And here's what I want you to see. Here's what he's saying. The message is the sign. He's using Jonah here. How many of you have read the book of Jonah? It's four great chapters. Very interesting chapters. It's about a prophet who 
was told to go to Nineveh and preach against the city. He didn't want to do that because he, he kind of understood God. He understood that if he did that and they turned from their sin, that God would be merciful. So he decides to head the other way. And in the meantime, as he's heading the other way, there's a storm. They throw him over to, over the side. He gets swallowed by a, a whale or a shark or something. He's in the belly of this animal for three days till he repents. When he repents, the animal... I, obviously, he must have caused some indigestion or something. He, you know, he upchucks him onto the ocean, out of the ocean. So then he goes to Nineveh, and here's what the passage says. This is why we know when he talks about the sign being the message. He said, none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Here's what Jonah did. You have to understand, all Jonah did was is he walked from one end of the city to the next with one message. In three days, this place is going to be overturned. That was his message. In three days, this place is going to be destroyed. And the Ninevites, when they heard the message, the passage says very clearly that they repented in sackcloth and ashes. That is, they turned from their sins, they acknowledged their wrong, and they were very contrite before God. That's what the whole symbolism of sackcloth and ashes is. Is that they set aside their garments and wore what we would consider like potato sacks and put ashes on their head as a symbol of their humility and their repentance. And God was merciful to them. It was the message. So when he says to them, look, you guys don't need a sign. You already have the sign. The sign is my message. Think about it. That's really all they needed. Because, I mean, think about it. I mean, step back for a moment. Think about what Jesus did. He comes among them preaching the good news of the kingdom. And while he's preaching of the good news of the kingdom, to validate his message, here's what he's doing. And tell me if these are the kind of things that we see in everyday Kerwinsville around here. He's preaching the good news of the gospel, and he's validating the message by, number one, healing the sick. The lame can walk again. A man with an atrophied hand. Have you ever seen that before? Some of you are old enough to remember the days of polio. And you remember when polio struck someone and their hand, the muscles in their hand would deteriorate or in their body. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of the older folks know what I'm talking about. They remember, you know, polio's gone now. A man with an atrophied hand, Jesus would heal it. How many times have you seen that around town? The blind being made to see. The mute being able to speak. The deaf being able to hear. The dead being raised up. Man, it sounds like an everyday thing here in Kerbsville, doesn't it? Those were the kind of things when he spoke that he did to validate what he was saying. Because it's the message. The sign is the message. They don't need anything to see anything more. I mean, think about, I mean, stop for a moment. Think about how ridiculous they are for asking another sign. I mean, I just shared with you all of those things that he's doing. Those are not everyday things that happen. They sure didn't happen every day back then. And for somebody to say, we need more proof? The issue isn't that there isn't enough proof. The issue is they don't believe. Jesus says, I'm not going to give you a sign. You already have the sign. It's the sign of Jonah. And just as Jonah was a sign, I am the sign, he said. It's my message. It's my message. In fact, here's the second point I want you to see. Jesus' message is our sign. Some of you here have loved ones, maybe somebody you love very dearly in your family, maybe somebody you work with or a friend or something, that you, or a spouse, that you want to come to know Jesus. And 
And, and you, you long for them to know your Savior. You long for them to know your Jesus. And, and, and I know I've talked with you, and you, you will say things like this. If only God would be so real to them. If only He would just do something and show Himself in a mighty way. They will just turn to Him. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, they won't. They won't. Because the issue isn't that there's a not enough proof. The issue is they don't want to believe. Just a little bit farther in, into this book, we're going to read about the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And it's an interesting story Jesus tells and there's a great point to it. At the end, the rich man's in hell. He looks over at Father Abraham and he says to Father Abraham, send back Lazarus to my brothers so that they can be warned about this place so that they don't come here. And Abraham says to him, no. No, that can't happen. because, he, And this is, the, this is what he says. Even if one were to raise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. See, he's our sign. His message is our sign. It's more than enough, Jesus says. The word he spoke is more than enough to validate the issue is whether or not you believe it. The issue is whether or not you believe it. So that brings us into verse 31 and 32, because here's what he pronounces against the skeptics. He pronounces the skeptics in his day. It's the same pronouncement for the skeptics in our days. It's the issue of judgment. And here's what he does. He uses the illustration of two different people, two different groups of people. First, he uses the issue of, of the queen of the south. Now, let me remind you of who that is. If you go to the Old Testament, if you read in First and Second Kings, you'll know that the queen of the south refers to the queen of Sheba. More than likely, she was an Ethiopian. Some believe maybe she was from the Arabian Peninsula, but the fact of the matter is, is that she came up to visit Solomon because she heard about the great wisdom of Solomon and... Because of his great wisdom, she came to learn from Solomon. In fact, the Ethiopians to this day trace their lineage back to the queen of Sheba as far as the one of introducing them to the one God. It's in their history. So anyhow, he's saying that this, in the last day, the queen of Sheba will rise up. Notice what it says there, verse 31. The queen of Sheba will rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. She's going to condemn them. She's going to be the one to say they're guilty. They're worthy of spiritual death. They're worthy of hell. Here's why. They fail to recognize true wisdom. See, the issue is, here's what Jesus is saying. She came up to visit Solomon because of his great wisdom. But notice the last part of verse 31. Here's what he says. But one greater than Solomon is here. Who's he talking about? Himself. See, they're going to be judged because they fail to recognize what true wisdom is. See, because of their unbelief, true wisdom is there among them. They reject him. They reject him. And so because of that, they'll be judged later. She'll stand up. Here, a pagan queen who acknowledged God and acknowledged her, the servant of God, Solomon, will rise up in that day and say, you know what? I recognize wisdom in my day. You guys weren't able to. So they'll be judged. And here's the other thing. Look with me. The next, verse 32, it talks about the men of Nineveh. Now, who's the men of Nineveh? Those are the folks that Jonah preached to. And with just a simple message, in three days, this place is history. They repented and turned to God. And here's what I want you to see is that generation of men, verse 32, the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and what? And condemn it. Why? 
For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, one greater than Jonah is here. Here's the second point I want you to see about the judgment. They refused to repent of their sins. They refuse to repent of their sins. Listen, I'm, I'm going to. You may want to write this down. There is a principle that's throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. You see it, and it's this: that you are responsible for what you know. Here's the principle: you are responsible for what you know, and the more that God has revealed to you, you're responsible for that. And so, if you're here and, and, and you don't believe in Jesus, you haven't trusted in Him, and He has revealed Himself through His message, through His Word to you, you are more responsible for what you know and your rejection of it and your lack of repentance of it than someone maybe in the Amazon who's never heard about Jesus. Because you've heard. And, you know, and we just, we're talking about unbelievers here. Let me take it one step further, believer. Those of you who are Christians, you too are responsible for what you know. And if you don't act on it, see, here's the thing, we've, we've deceived ourselves into thinking, you know what, well, I'm saved, I don't need to worry about hell. You're right, you're saved, you don't need to worry about hell, but there is a judgment still coming. And you still have to give an account for your life. And, and, and I remember, you know, I, I was raised in a military home, and so there were a lot of years where, where my dad was stationed away. He did a tour a tour in Vietnam, two tours in Korea. And he was away a year at a time. And, and when he would come home, of course, there was the excitement of when he'd come home. But a day later, after the celebration of Dad being home, there would be the reckoning time. So I hear you gave your mom problems. Uh, blah, 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 blah. What was this about? Uh, folks, that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Yeah, you may be saved. You ain't going to be kicked out of the family of God. But you still got to answer. See, you're responsible for what you know. That's the principle. And what he's saying here with the judgment, he's saying to these guys who are wanting more proof, look, you already have the proof. I'm the sign. It's my message. Others have turned with less of a message. They'll rise up in that generation and condemn you. One who is greater than Solomon is here. But yet you look for wisdom somewhere else. This is what he's saying. Folks, there's more than enough proof. There's more than enough proof. He is who he says he is. And let's be honest. Let's just go ahead and say, what's the question we're wrestling with? Who is this Jesus that he demands a response from me? He's God. And he's saying, you've got to make a decision about me. How do we, how do we bring this all together for ourselves here this morning? Well, i got three things, three thoughts, three questions for you that we need to wrestle with. One we've already been wrestling with all along, but we'll, we'll reveal two, two more questions here for you. Number one, have you come to grips with who Jesus is? That's just the reality. That's, that's really, you know, the bottom line question that is the question of the age. That is the question of your lifetime. That is going to be the question that all of us are going to have to settle at some point. You either settle it here or you settle it later on. You say, what do you mean later on, George? Well, you know, the reality is the Apostle Paul tells us that in, in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The reality is, is at some point, all of us are going to bow the knee. The question is when. And if you come to grips with the reality of who Jesus is now, you bow your heart and your knee to him now willingly. Because later on, you're going to bow your heart and knee to him because you have to. 
And at that point, it's too late. You know, so the reality is, is have you come to grips with him? Now, again, I'm, I'm not just talking to, to, the, to the unbeliever. I'm talking to the Christian because coming to grips with who Jesus is changes your life. It affects your whole perspective. It changes your whole view of things because it affects your everyday life. So many of us have bought into this thing. It's like kind of like uh, life insurance, fire insurance. I've taken care of that health thing. I can do whatever I want to do now. That is not the way it is. If he is who he says he is, you need to really pay attention to what he's saying to you, what his message is. And his message affects every aspect of your life right now. And I'm not talking about the rules that churches make. I'm just talking about what Jesus says. We spend a lot more time at church talking about the rules we make than really looking at what Jesus says. So have you come to grips with it? Have you come to grips with who Jesus is? And so that brings me to the next question. Do you need more proof? Do you need more proof? Are you, are you one of these folks who say, you know, yeah, I'm really thinking about it. And, yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm not there yet. I, I, the, the, the scales haven't tipped in that direction. So I just need a little bit more. If you could just show me something more, Jesus. You know what his reaction is? Look again at verse 29. This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign. And no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. He's our sign. Because you need more proof, that doesn't that doesn't settle the issue. The fact is, is you still got to make a decision about him. And, and to be honest with you, Jesus already said you can't be neutral. There's no neutrality. You already talked about that earlier. It's either yes or no. He is who he is, or he's not. So do you need more proof? And then finally, the final question is: is what does that reveal about your heart? If you need more proof. What does it reveal about your heart? So let's, 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 let's go ahead and say it. If, if you're here and, and you need more proof, you need God to be more real, let, let's just go ahead and say it. There's nothing wrong with saying it. For some reason we feel like in a church, if I come to church, I can't express this kind of thing. But the reality is that you need to express it. The reality is, is when I ask that kind of question, God, I need you to show me more. I need to put out my fleece. You're struggling with unbelief. Let's just go ahead and say it. You don't believe. And that's okay. Because at least you took a position. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, it's not okay about what the outcome will be because of your unbelief. It, it's, it's better for you to say that I don't believe than you to say, well, I'm not sure yet. I need more proof. Because that's a Weasley way, fence-sitting way. Of, do, do you understand what I'm saying? The reality is, is you need to either say, yeah, he is who he is, or no, I don't believe him. There is no middle ground. And when you say you need more proof, That's really revealing where your heart is. So 
So I guess there, that's the fourth question. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.